Is God among us? I would say God is among us. Praise the Lord. Thank you to the worship team, to the musicians. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to those who shared this morning what God wants to say to us today. Amen. God is holy and good. He would never, he cannot lie. The word of God says. He cannot sin. It's his very nature is holiness. But for us, uh, it's not always that way, that our behavior is the same as our standing, right? Our standing, we, we've, been, we've been set apart as holy, as children of God, followers of Jesus. Uh, but we don't always behave that way. Have you, have you ever cheated in your life? <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. That's not funny at all. Have you ever cheated? Uh, and I'm not looking for confessions today. That's okay. I'll give you one, though. Uh, I remember in grade, it was grade three or four, and a French teacher gave us a quiz in class and said, if you get 100% on this quiz, then you don't have to write the next test, which is coming up uh, for that whole section of French that, that we were learning. Man, I wanted that. I did not want to write that test. Uh, I wanted to get 100% on that, that quiz. My father had taught me that a really important way to remember things is to write them down. And so I did that, but it seems that some of the answers somehow got written on my hand as I was studying, part of my studying technique. So rather than 100%, I had a big fat zero, because apparently I can't cheat well or successfully. And I was sent to the principal's office, not the first time that I deserved it. And being caught in front of the entire class and then being sent out of the room and having to walk down to the principal's office. And, and uh, I did not like the principal's office. It was humiliating. You know, it was embarrassing. I, I felt lonely. My existence for a while was lonely. Uh, so embarrassed to have been outed in front of all my classmates. And the place of loneliness in different contexts, the place of loneliness is one of the worst places to be, arguably. You know? Whether it's been brought about by circumstances beyond our control, sometimes that's the case, or it's been the consequence of our own actions that we end up in that place of loneliness. The starting point of any situation, I think this goes really very well along with the word that we heard today, is that you are not alone. Will you say with me, I am not alone? I am not alone. You are not alone. If you don't choose to be. But even if you or I choose to be alone, maybe by pushing people away, or by hiding, in order to have some sort of personal control, even then you're still not alone. 
because as long as there's oxygen in the air and gravity pulling us down and a 24-hour rotation of the earth around the sun, as long as all of that's going on, Jesus is holding all things together by his powerful word. Our very existence is because of his continued sustaining power of all that he created that is good. And he is with us. Amen? He's with us. And in those lonely times, as with any time, we have the choice to to ignore God and effectively run away from God. We have the choice to run toward God and then run with God. And we have that choice over and over and over again. Whether or not to move with the Holy Spirit's direction or to move in our direction, in charge of ourselves. In the case of outright rebellion, which is what I had done in that particular case, by cheating, that, that's, it's a form of rebellion. Any kind of, any kind of sin is rebellion. We need to humble ourselves. We don't have to be as humiliated as I might have felt. It's not about being shamed. It's about being convicted. Because when we are convicted, that's a good thing. To be genuinely sorry and repentant, which means stop doing it, whatever it is. In my case, it was stop cheating. And go forward from there with God. Basing our identity, not in our behavior that's been poor, or even behavior that's good, that that not become our identity, but rather that our identity be firmly fixed on, based on the person and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. People of Israel had some of those times of loneliness in, in their history, and we see the, what's recorded in Scripture, those times of isolation, and those cases as a nation when they required discipline in their journey because of disobedience. God had delivered a previous generation from slavery in Egypt. He brought them miraculously with incredible miracles and power. He brought them out of Egypt, recorded in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. And then he walked them through the Red Sea after miraculously parting the water. Man, wouldn't that be amazing? And then God gave them rules to live by. Third book of the Bible, Leviticus. Rules which made sense in light of the life that they had to live among some very ruthless neighbors. And then God had disciplined them after a whole lot of whining and complaining. Delaying by 40 years their entrance into the land that he had promised them because discipline was necessary. And then after several more generations, people of Israel said to God through the prophet Samuel, We want a king. We want a king just like everybody else. We want a king just like everybody else. We want a king, they said, like children being demanding 
like adults being demanding. We want a king. All you give us is a judges. We don't want judges. We want a king. You know, we're all grown up now. And God, the patient parents, said, okay. I will let you play the grown-up game. I will let you, because that's what I do. I, I wait for your willingness for me to move. But if you make a habit of opposing me, of dishonoring me, of disobeying me, mark that there will be discipline, again, as there has been already. And, and we could ask the question, does God have a right to expect, does a God of love have a right to expect compliance and honor and obedience? Does God have that right? If God is both creator and sustainer, absolutely he's got the right. A God of love is also a God who chides and says, I want to help you. It's not that I, not that I get a real kick out of, of, of disciplining you. But I do it for your good. And sure enough, after the first king Saul and the second king David and the third king Solomon, the country splits. There are now two kings for generations. And many of them do not follow, did not follow Yahweh. They did not follow God. And so God sent prophets to warn them about discipline that was going to be coming. Judgment would be coming. And sure enough, it came. came in first, we said before, to the larger part of the divided country as they were conquered by Assyria. And then came along the prophet Nahum. He was sent to Nineveh. He was actually sent to the enemy. The capital of Assyria to warn them that they too were in for some serious discipline. A captivity which would last about 70 years was what was going to happen to Israel under Assyria. And then Assyria could expect too that they were going to be disciplined. Prophet Jonah had previously gone to Assyria. We've talked about him. He'd gone to Nineveh to reluctantly warn them of God's judgment. They responded with humility. They repented sackcloth and ashes, and God held back the hard discipline because of obedience. But it didn't last. And so God would permit Assyria to conquer Israel and to take them captive. But as time passed, he knew that Assyria had gone back to its old ways. False gods, self-reliance, injustice, harshness. And while that was happening, Israel during its time of occupation was becoming more and more humble and teachable and reachable. And sometimes that's what we need, isn't it? Unfortunately. Sometimes we, gotta, we have to hit bottom. David, in one of the Psalms, said, Lord, you have brought me out of the miry pit. And sometimes that's what's needed. That we need to hit rock bottom to say, okay, God, finally I'm listening. And I'm listening for longer periods of time than I was listening before. And I'm talking to you with much greater sincerity than I was before because I realize I was wrong when I thought I could do this by myself. 
and to do it well. God said that Nineveh would be, Assyria would be judged quite harshly for their excesses, for their wastefulness, for their harshness, for their injustice toward others. Nahum chapter 2, we're going to read today. I think we have, I think we have, I, we have it on the screen and I think we have the same version. If not, it'll be very close. God says to Nineveh, says to Assyria, through Nahum, an attacker advances against you. The attacker was Media. The Medes, you heard that, the Medes and the Persians. It was the Medes who would do this. Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourselves, marshal all your strength. This is actually said almost tongue-in-cheek. God is saying, you think you, you think you got it all together, so you you get ready. You get ready and, and you think that you could win, but they're coming. And I'm using them just against you, just as I used you against Israel. And the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid waste and have ruined their vines, because Israel was understanding humility. The shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. Red being the, the color of, of their garb, typically. Even painted, perhaps, on the shields. Uh, th that's what the reference to red is. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are ready. The spears of juniper wood are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning as the sun reflects off the wheels. Nineveh summons her troops, yet they stumble on their way because they're beginning to get a little bit terrified when they see the size of what's coming in on them. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put up in place. The river gates are thrown open by the enemy. There are canals nearby, part of their watering system. And those river gates are thrown open, the palace collapses. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves, like mourning doves, and they beat on their chests. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped by the needs. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble. Every face grows pale from this once powerful world leader. Where now is the lion's den? This is an image of Assyria. The place where you fed your young, where the lion and lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear. The lion killed enough for the cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. That is what Assyria was like. King of the jungle. And the words I never want to hear. I am against you. Declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke. The sword will devour your young lions. It's your young fighters. 
I will leave you no prey on earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. That is pretty serious business, isn't it? Oh my goodness. We don't often portray God as angry because our starting point, especially with sharing our faith, our starting point is, this is what God has done in my life. As we say, God is so good. That's the starting point. That's, that's usually the best place to start. Because if we lead with the opposite, yeah, there may, there may be, we, we might feel a sense of, of, of joy that people are convicted and don't want to listen to us. Uh, but Jesus' condemnation, you know, the only people that he condemned were the self-righteous ones. Those are the ones that he spoke to very seriously and he said, you're whitewashed tombs, you are, you're sick on the inside. But the people who were genuinely seeking, I mean, he, 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 he was led by the Spirit. He, he reached to them and he, he showed them the love and the truth of who he was and who he is. And we choose whether God is of our own design, in which case we're essentially God, if God is from our own design. We're all gods. Or if God has revealed his person and his character because God is needed and we need external intervention. I have no doubt in my mind we need external intervention in this world. In my life, this prophecy from Nahum is addressed to the people of Judah, the bottom part, the lower, smaller territory of the divided Israel. They had just been delivered amazingly from the Assyrian king Sennacherib. God had miraculously delivered them and pushed the Assyrians back. And so Nahum, in giving this word, is saying, you guys have now become haughty as you've been before because you beat the Assyrians and you figure you can lick them anytime they come. But the, the means would come. They would come again. Last week we said that every game has rules that we need to follow because that we need them for guidelines, for order, and for fairness. You're cheating! You ever had somebody say that to you in the middle of a game? God has established laws or statutes or precepts, decrees, commands. David use all, all, uses all of those in, in his psalms of describing what it is that we need to follow. People often run away when they don't like the way things are or walk away. And that's spiritually true too, isn't it? If we don't like that, if we don't want that, if it's too hard... If it offends me, we will often turn around and walk away. Israel had, had effectively done that from the moment that they insisted and insisted to the prophet Samuel, we want a king just like everybody else. And Samuel said, no, you don't. And they said, yes, we do. He said, no, you don't. Yes, we do. And so when Samuel went to God and said, 
They want a king. God said, I know. Give them a king. Samuel said, what? Are you serious? And God was. Because he let people go the way they choose. But what about you this morning? What about me this morning? Over these weeks with Jonah and Nahum, has the Holy Spirit been saying something to you? Man, he was so present today as we were singing. Has the Holy Spirit been saying anything to you about something or some things that maybe you need to say yes to as a way of surrendering and bringing Him glory? If we're serious about following God, yes to a belief, yes to exercising faith, yes to stepping out, yes to to how we think, yes to to how we behave, yes to what we take in and what we let out, yes to a God-honoring habit, perhaps. Or are there any things in your life, in my life, that we need to be saying no to? Whether it's a way of thinking that we stop, a belief that we ought not to have, or that we need to challenge, we need, we need to go deeper with God, or a behavior that we say, Lord, I, 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 confess, I need to get rid of this, I confess it. And I have been shown, even this week, how I want to set my own pace. You know? I want to set my own pace. Instead of listening enough to slow down and listen to the Lord and go in pace with Him. If you struggle with faith, with fear, with an attitude, with a behavior, whether you need to say yes to it or no to it, will you offer that up to God as something that you need to say either yes or no to. If he's been speaking to you, will you offer that up to him if you haven't yet? Maybe you have already. God will not be cheated. God will not be cheated. For he sees all. And God is jealous. You know the book of Nahum begins with that? That statement, God is jealous. And I remember somebody asking me that once. He said, so this doesn't seem right to me. What do you do? God is jealous. God is a jealous God. That comes up in Exodus as well. God says, I am a jealous God. Isn't jealousy wrong? Isn't envy wrong? And I said, what a great question. It was a youth who asked that. So what a great question. And words have nuances to them, Right? Sometimes they mean one thing, sometimes they mean something, something slightly different. Like, for example, the word strive. Sometimes when we say, I'm going to strive with you, usually by that we mean we're going to work at something together. and We're going to work hard together. But in the Bible, back in the day, when the word strive was used, it was usually used negatively, and strive meant oppose. And so with the word jealous, this jealousy of God is 
He's the creator and the sustainer of all that is good. He has a right to set some expectations. And that's what, what some of us maybe we're wrestling with. Is that really who God is? Is God really the God of the Bible? And we need Him so much. If you struggle with anything before the Lord, and when I struggle with anything before the Lord, will we say yes or no? God is jealous, which means that He is watchful, He is expectant, He is pure and holy, and He guards that. That jealousy is a guarding of what is good. Amen? It's a good jealousy. Expected for us to go all in with Him. You know, today we sang, like we've sung many weeks, we sing that I surrender all. And I'm sure that when you come to those words, as I do, kind of swallow and say, Lord, I, like I, I do mean it. It's hard. But I want to. I want to surrender to you for your direction so that I can run with you, not away from you. Or maybe run to you first because I'm not at that place yet. Let me invite the musicians and the altar ministry prayers to come. I want to encourage you and me as, we, as I suppose we could every week. We cannot know what God wants to the best of our ability if we don't spend a good amount of time in His written word. Otherwise, we will listen to voices and we will listen to voices in the spiritual realm and it will be that much more difficult to discern because God will not contradict, the Holy Spirit will not contradict the written word. And if you struggle, you say, I'm not a reader, I just, you know, I, I find the time. Get, get an audio of the Bible. Um, listen to it while you drive. Turn off the music. Listen to the Word of God. Don't start with Leviticus. <laughs> Unless you want to. Sorry, you might. Some people really enjoy that. Get to know the written word. Get to know the living word. That relationship with Jesus. It is a spiritual, amazing opportunity for us to partner with God in our lives. What a great opportunity. What a great blessing. And then get to recognize the rhema word when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It might be in this place that He does, but you know there are 168 hours in a week. And God does not confine that to now. But He, he uses now. And then those other 165 or 6 or 7, 
Man, he wants to lead us. As we get in the written word and we grow our relationship sitting at the feet of the living word, then we will hear the rhema word. And God will do what God wants to do. We want that to be amazing things. Amen? Let's pray together. What are we going to sing? God, you are so good. And I pray, Lord, for anyone in this place right now who is struggling about your goodness. Who's asking the question, how can a good God allow all of this stuff to happen? How can evil seem so rampant in parts of the world if God is so good and all-powerful. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those hearts. As we recognize as difficult as it is that you stay your hand and you allow people to do what people will do. And you're patient because your desire is that none should perish eternally. That none should have an eternity outside of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Oh, Lord, speak, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts where we may be struggling with the goodness of God and to recognize that if other people need to be condemned because of their behavior, then so do I. Because while I may do fewer bad things, I've still done things that break the heart of God. That's all it takes. So, Lord, minister, I pray. Please, Holy Spirit, to questions and doubts so that we would not be shifting like shifting in the waves. But that with Jesus at the helm, that we will see our way through and across without fear because he is leading and piloting the ship. Thank you, Jesus.